You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. And join me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. Our text today is Luke chapter 12, verse 32. Doing kind of a one-off sermon uh, next week. We'll begin, we always kind of begin our uh, school year once all new hires and things like this. New folks that are coming to our community and church uh, are here. And then as a reminder for folks, uh, we do a series just called We Are the Church. And uh, what does it mean for us to be Galena Bible Church? And what do we believe? And um, you may be moving here from a denominational background or particular uh, flavor of church. And uh, church shopping in Galena is real simple. you got two options, right? Uh if you're not Catholic and you want to go to church, we are your other option, right? So, um, so we want people to know who we are and what we're about, uh, and what does it mean for us to be uh, the Galena Bible Church. But this Sunday, we're going to take a look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 32, and ponder the reality of God uh, in our present life. Luke chapter 12, verse 2. I mean, uh, verse 32 says this. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Um, I don't know about you, but if you find yourself in a quiet moment, um, which depending on your stage of life might be a little bit of a challenge, Um, But if you find yourself in a quiet moment, you might be like me where your mind begins to wander and you'll go back in time and it's, it's like, you know, all of the fun memories and good things and everything we've experienced in our life. And our mind always goes to those stupid moments, right? Those moments where you're just like, I cannot believe I said that. That was so incredibly embarrassing, right? Uh, you know, and there's, there's like this litany, like a list almost that your mind just has of those, like, you're embarrassed. Oh, you know, again, your face turns red, your, your heart elevates and stuff. I can remember one very, so this is me being very candid with you. I can remember one of these incredibly embarrassing moments for me. Um, I think I was a freshman in high school. Uh, I grew up in Anchorage, Alaska and moved out of Alaska in junior high, moved down to South Louisiana. Uh, and uh, occasionally you get to come back and visit and I was popping up for some reason and I went to go visit the church that I grew up in Uh, and there was a bunch of guys that had been my friends back in the day there and uh, was hanging out with one of them and uh, this guy who had been my friend when I was a kid uh, there was a uh, attractive young lady that was with him and they were talking and she said uh, at some point in time uh, she said yeah we used to be an item and I had never heard this phrase before. So I was interpreting that as like we used to, because the way they were bantering with each other was obviously like they weren't really friends with each other. And so I was like, oh, this, that must be a, be a term meaning that they used to be friends and they're no longer friends. So I responded with, yeah, he and I used to be an item together. <laughs> And a little bit after that, like, they both started chuckling. And it was one of the, I mean, you remember being a freshman, right? Like, if you guys are a freshman, you know, like, it's just all of a sudden you're just like, what have I done, right? And this is going to ruin the rest of my life, right? Kind of one of those kind of things. And, right? 
And so I'll be out moose hunting now as a 40-year-old out in the woods, sitting there watching the beauty of nature, and all of a sudden the mind goes back to this stupid moment as a freshman where you're just like, oh, no. And then the mind starts going like, what other stupid things have I said, right? And you just start, and you start looking at things, and then not me as a guy that gets up every week in front of other people and says stuff for a living. I'm just like, how many stupid things have I said, uh, you know, or whatever that people just didn't confront me about or whatever, you know. And you begin to ruminate, you begin to worry, and you begin to uh, process the realities of life. And then, if not that, then you begin to look to the future, and then all of a sudden you start thinking about things like, holy cow, they haven't even figured out the school schedule yet for all the teachers, right? And you're sitting there just going like, oh my word, what are we you know, going to do with that? And the dorm staff is looking like, man, look at all these positions that aren't hired. I'm going to have to fill these, I'm going to do this. You know, and you begin to look to the future, and it begins to feel burdensome, and it begins to all that, and you feel the moment of the you show up at the house and the, the laundry is piled up and you're worried about, you know, are, you, are the kids going to have what they need to be, you know, wear for tomorrow? And is, is dinner going to get fixed as it is? And, oh, what about that wood pile? And all of a sudden, life begins to spin itself up into anxiety and worry. And Jesus has a profound statement of that when it comes to our nature of worry. Because when we look to the past and we remember the stupid things, or we look to the future and we ruminate on these things that are to come, or we look to our present and we realize that there's all of this stuff that I have no power over, all of those things equate to a sense of worry. And the profound statement that Jesus says to us in the midst of that is, don't worry. Now, in Greek, what that translates to is, don't worry. It's the fullness of all of it. It's one of those where you want to look at Jesus and be like, all right, come on. I need a little bit more than that, right? Like you're just telling me not to do the thing that I'm doing. It's like in counseling. We've got professional counselors here. You probably know the video clip, right? Guy shows up into the counselor's office and they said, I'm scared, right? I'm terrified of you know clowns. And his answer is, stop it. What do you mean? Well, stop it. I mean, who wants to be scared of clowns? So just stop it, right? And so it feels a lot like that, going to Jesus and being like, I've got all this worry. And He says, well, then no worry, right? This is the whole text that comes before this. This passage that we just read in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, comes in Luke's, uh, Luke's writing down of uh, the parts of the Sermon on the Mount that uh, come into his gospel. And he lays these out in such terms, you're familiar with them, right? They're the things like, don't worry about what you will wear, right? Because he says, consider the flowers of the field. They don't spin, they don't toil, they don't sow, and yet Solomon in all of his splendor uh, does not look as good of them. If God cares about the flowers... How much do you think He cares about you? Don't worry about what you will eat because the raven doesn't plant seed and harvest grain and millet and all that kind of stuff. And yet, the Lord feeds him. Are you not worth more than birds? Right? And in the midst of all that, He emphasizes, don't worry. Following this passage, He says, Sell your possessions, give to charity, make yourself money belts that were, which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where, uh, where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Don't worry. Anybody here willing to 
admit that they worried about something this week? Something, right? We're filled with anxiety. We're fi- the world has it. In fact, that's actually what marketing strategy is. That, this is actually, if you go to college and learn marketing, you are taught to teach um, covetousness, that your life is incomplete, and that if you don't have this, you will never attain to the weight loss that you want or the style of beauty or what you want and you should worry about that and we fix that worry by buying this product that literally is what you are taught to do in the the nature of that and God wants to give you a sense of peace in the reality of the moment that you live in it is a funny thing when you think about time you've only ever experienced right now you remember the past You anticipate the future, but you only ever experience right now. That's one of the things that is distinct about God and different from us, is that God experiences all nows simultaneously everywhere. That's the expanse of Him. For us, we're just... We only experience this now, and now I'm not experiencing the now that I was. I'm just experiencing the now that I'm in right now. And that's the finite nature that we live in And it also gives us a sense of worry because there's so much that we can't control of it. Once the now is past, I can't change it. If I make the statement, if I do the deed, or if I don't do the deed, uh, if I withhold love when I should have, or I say a hateful word when I shouldn't have, and it's gone out and I can't pull it back into the moment. And when we look to the future... We have no control over it in the present moment because of all the uncertainty. And it's the nature of worry that weighs us down in all of those. And in this one verse, in verse 32, God wants to give us, through the power of Jesus Christ and His life, death, burial, and resurrection, control over the worry of past, present, and future. Take a look at this verse again. It's one of those things you just read over it and you miss it. This is why we want to drill down into Scripture. Luke chapter 12, again verse 32. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. He starts with the present because that's where we all live. We live in this moment. He begins this statement, this one, this one sentence, with an imperative command. But it's an imperative command that is filled with great love. He says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Don't be filled with fear. There has been in Christian history, um, specifically within the last probably 30 years, I've heard a lot of preaching and talking and, and books and Bible studies and things on the nature of fear. And fear is very often painted in a bad light, in, in the sense of like, to be afraid is, that's wrong, you shouldn't be afraid. Uh, and, you know, this is a reality uh, for us in Alaska. If you're walking in the woods and a bear jumps out in front of you and you feel afraid, you feel fear, rest assured you have not sinned. Okay? That is a physiological response to something that is coming at you that has the ability to 
eat you, right? To end your existence in a very bad way. And it is okay to feel fear in the midst of that. In fact, the Bible actually tells us that fear is the beginning of something. Does anybody remember what it is in in, uh, Proverbs? The fear of the Lord is what? The is the beginning of wisdom. You see, fear actually teaches us how to be wise, right? We teach our little children this. When they're in the kitchen and there's a hot pot on the stove, we want them to be afraid of the pot on the stove in the sense of don't grab it, right? Because it's going to harm you. So they need to have this sense of healthy fear with the reality of it, not to do it because it's going to cause them harm, right? And Solomon knew this to be true. He says, don't be, I mean, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's where we learn these things. But here's the thing about fear. Fear can immobilize you in life. It may be true of you, or it's probably at least true of somebody that you know, that you know them, that they are absolutely terrified to do almost anything, Right? There's somebody that, you know, at some point in time, they're like, why am I single? It's because you're afraid to talk to people, right? Or why is it that I'm so poor? Well, you're, you're afraid to try something new, right? Why is it that my, you know, my, the, I always eat the same fried chicken, you know, nuggets or whatever? It's because you're afraid to try new food, right? Like fear grips people and it holds them fast in the midst of that and it doesn't allow them to move forward. But there is a sense of wisdom that comes with the nature of fear. It is one thing to walk in the woods fearless and get mauled by a bear. It's another thing to know that there are bears there, to be afraid of the reality of that and come prepared with high-velocity lead spray. I mean, you can take pepper spray if you want to, but that's just seasoning is all that that is. Um, So there is a sense of wisdom that comes with that. So what do we do with passages of Scripture like this that say, don't be afraid? Don't be afraid. Well, it's the reality of this moment where uh, God is speaking in present tense, or this is Jesus speaking in present tense, an imperative command. In other words, when I say an imperative, it means do this. You could almost put an exclamation point at the end of the command. Don't be afraid. Exclamation point. Don't do it. And He's saying it in present tense right now. And He's saying that in this context of worry. When we experience worry, we're experiencing it in the now. We're wrestling with it. It's, it's this weight upon us. It's keeping us up at night. And we're in the moment of it. And what worry is, is a sense of fear of something I have no control over. Right? We don't worry about things that we have control over. Oh no! I don't know if I will be able to choose what clothes I'm going to wear tomorrow morning for church. No, you, you have the ability to choose what clothes you're going to... You're not worrying about that, right? You might worry about, oh, what, you know, what if somebody doesn't like the color of what I'm... Or doesn't, you know, doesn't think it's you know, cool or nice or clean or whatever. That's something that's outside of your control, right? What if I'm not going to like the other person that's in my teaching cohorts? What if I'm not going to like the new hire? What if the shift, the person that's on shift with me is going to be somebody that's in conflict with me? What if, what if, what if? And those kind of weighty things. It's into those things that Jesus says in the present moment, don't let them own you. Don't let them control you. Don't be afraid. 
This is him saying in the nature of worry, these basic things of, uh, of what are you going to wear, what are you going to eat, uh, and before that, verse 13, in that area, he's talking about the nature of wealth and acquiring wealth and wanting to get richer and the, the nature of growing and covetousness is ultimately what it is. And in all of these things, he says in the present moment, don't worry. And we ask the question, how do I do that? Because I... I experience the worry. It shows up. The fear, you don't have to... Tra- you know, it's, uh, uh, Fear as an emotional response is really the same as smacking your hand with a hammer. You don't have to tell your thumb to hurt when you hit it with a hammer. It just does, right? Fear, sadness, anger, loneliness. You don't tell yourself to do those things. They just well up. It's what you do with those things that is either life-giving or life-robbing. And Jesus looks at us and He says in the midst of our worry, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be wise as you're in this. Don't let it control you, debilitate you in your moment. Look at it and go, okay, if I'm afraid of this, if I'm concerned about this, what do I need to do now? How do I need to trust Him now in this present moment? This is Him speaking into the now. But again, that still feels like, a lot like, him saying, don't worry. Don't be afraid. Stop it. Well, how do I do that, God? Well, we don't simply muster that up out of our own strength in the present moment. He gives us a reality of the past and a certainty of the future to rest on. Because all of the Christian life is faith. All of Christian life is faith. We never outgrow faith. We never know so much that we're like, I don't have to have faith anymore. I know it all. It is always us continually falling into the arms of Jesus, falling into the arms of our Heavenly Father and saying, I'm just trusting You. That's all I'm doing. That's all I've got. That's That's all the strength that I have. I'm just simply trusting You. And how can we fall into the arms of our Heavenly Father? How can we fall into the arms of our loving Savior except that He has proved to us from eternity past to eternity future, the certainty of His plan. And He gives us that here. He says in present tense, do not be afraid, little flock. He's showing that we are a part of His group. This is one of the beautiful things that I love uh, from Luke's Gospel, uh, Luke chapter 10, where He describes us in that term. And He says, My sheep know My voice, and they come when I call them. This is him talking about us in terms of that. Don't be afraid, little flock. And here's him looking to the past. He says, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has gladly chosen. Somebody else's translation say something different? Your Father delights. Delights. Have you ever thought about God delighting about something about you? Oftentimes, uh, we have a, a jaded view of God, right? For many people, they view God kind of like the, the a cosmic vending machine, right? We, we stop and we pray, and that's our, that's our token that we put in the vending machine, and God gives us what we want because we prayed. 
Or we, we offer up a good life and then God, then and that's the token that we put in, and then God then in turn gives us back. It's always a, we do something and then God does something back. There's many people that have that kind of a view of God. There's a lot of people that have a view of God that is very much a stern, angry, kind of vengeful God. A God that's looking down and always waiting for you to screw up. Because we know we're screw-ups, and God knows we're screw-ups, and so He's just waiting for that moment for us to screw up so that not He doesn't vend to us blessing, He vends to us cursing. But the Bible gives us an incredible picture of God in this. And, and it's lost, unfortunately, in English. Um, it is delighting, but it's delighting in the past tense. Uh, it's delighting in a sense of, he says, do not be afraid, little flock, for your heavenly Father has, past tense, chosen to gladly, delightfully, joyfully, happily give to you. From the beginning, from His character, from the nature of Himself, He chose to gladly, delightfully give to you. Last week, one of the, we, we went through a series of uh, psalms over the summer. Just We did a summer in the psalms. And one of the things we uh, took a look at last week, we were looking at the nature of the glory of God. Actually, it was the last uh, two Sundays that we were in psalms. And oftentimes, again, we talk about the glory of God in terms of His magnitude, right? We say things like the psalms say, the heavens declare the glory of God, the magnitude, the splendor, the power, the awe of that. But sometimes we can miss things, and it's why we want to be diligent students of Scripture. Moses asked God, show me your glory. Do you remember this? He says, show me your glory. And God says, I can't show you my glory because you'll die. But he says, what I'll do is I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. And he says, I will make my glory pass by you. And when he does that, he says, I'll cover it over. And I will cause my... Anybody remember from last week? I will cause my goodness to pass by you. God is saying, my glory is not in my bigness, my power, my awe. My glory is in my goodness. And I cause it to pass by you. Jesus is looking at people that are in the midst of worry, that have weight and heavy things upon their souls. And His answer to them is, don't be afraid. And they say, how? And He says, because your God has gladly chosen from eternity past to give you. To give to you. That should be an incredible thing for us because here's the nature of that. Before we did anything stupid, and before we did anything good, God gladly chose delight delighted to give to us. See, the nature of our salvation is not based upon whether we deserve it, have earned it or warranted it. It does not hinge upon how good of a person we've been or how much of the Bible that we've learned or how often we've prayed or any of those kind of things. 
The reason that we say that salvation is by grace, undeserved, unearned favor, by faith, and we only ever have faith in something that's not us. The reason we say those things is because we are resting upon His goodness to redeem us. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen gladly, and here, that's past, to give you the kingdom, which is future. From eternity past, God knew your life. He knew what it was going to look like. He knew all of those moments that you were going to be embarrassed about. He knew all those moments you would be grieved by. Because the reality is, there's when I'm in the woods, and I have those moments of stupid things, I also have those moments of grief. Of, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I acted that way. I can't believe I had that thought. I can't believe... And Satan brings those things back up in the same way that he brings up those stupid moments. And there's an interesting thing with that. Because in the same way that fear is just... It is. It's not good or bad. It just is. It's what you do with it that is either good or bad. Guilt and shame are actually the same way. Now the world right now is, is not, doesn't agree with me on this. And I don't really care because I'm basing this on Scripture and not on what the world thinks. But guilt and shame are God's good gifts in our life the same way that your hand's having feeling to know you're burning it, get it off the stove. Guilt and shame is something that is in your life to remind us of some things that are broken. But here's the thing. Guilt and shame are not the same thing. They often get thrown around as though they're the same. They feel the same, oftentimes, but they're not actually the same thing. And this is what I mean. I think there's a distinction in Scripture of this. Guilt is when we have done something wrong. We've either wronged another person or we've wronged God. And we that comes up into our soul. It comes up into our face. We see it right there in front of us. And we go, oh man, what is that? And we feel the guilt of it. I can't believe I said that to my spouse. I, I can't believe I did that to my parents. I, I can't believe I, uh, uh, you know, I cheated my coworker that way or whatever it is. Or I can't believe I have wronged God this way. As you read Scripture and He puts things into your life and the burden of those things come up and it wells up as, grief, as a guilt. And it's neither good nor bad in and of itself. It's what we do with it that is either good, life-giving, or life-robbing. When guilt comes up, true, genuine guilt comes up, we have the choice of either looking at it and saying, you know what, it's not really that bad. I mean, it's not like it's this other guy's sin. Their sin is, oh man, right? right? We, wanna, uh, we want our sin to be viewed differently than other people's sin. Because it's not like them. It's different than them. The circumstance, you just don't understand the circumstances are different. We can do that and deny it or whatever. Or we can find reconciliation. We can go to that person and we say, I've wronged you. I'm sorry for that. It's one of the most, if you're married, it's one of the most powerful things that you to learn the word, I'm sorry, and not like. You know, like when a kid does something wrong and you bring him over and you say, tell him you're sorry. And they say, I'm sorry. No, you're not. <laughs> right? So if you're married, don't do that. Sorry. Punk. Right? Don't do that. 21 years of marriage, don't do that. Right? 
A genuine, real brokenness is actually what brings about restoration. But what do you do after that? A week, a month, a decade later, and that event comes back up, and all of a sudden you feel the same thing. And you're going like, wow, did I, did I not repent right? Did I not, did I not use the right magic formula? Was my prayer an insufficient incantation of some variety? Am I feeling guilt? Well, if you look at it and you say, no, I have, have you brought that before the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that His death, burial, and resurrection was sufficient for that? And if your answer is yes, then what you're feeling is actually shame. It's shame. And it's different from guilt. It feels the same, but what it is, is it's the realization that I had the capacity to do that and... I still have the capacity to do that. I'm not yet what I was meant to be. I'm not yet the man or woman that God is transforming my heart to be. I still have the ability to screw up. And here's the thing about shame. It's neither good nor bad, it just is. It's what you do with it that is either good or bad. You can take it and you can have toxic shame. Yeah, I'm, I'm awful. I'm such a terrible human being. I'm just a waste of carbon and oxygen. Just this self-deprecating, I'm just, you know, beat yourself up and it's life is always about how you've screwed up and you're not worthy of love and you're not worthy of forgiveness and you're not worried at all. That's toxic shame. The pendulum could swing to the other side of that though that's still negative. You can also have an experience of shame and swing the pendulum to pride. Yep, I'm way better than that now. Never would happen to me this time. I'm so much stronger. No more. I've got. I got this all licked. And you read stories like David, and you realize, yeah, there's a reason the Bible said pride comes before the fall. Pride is a toxic response to shame. Do you know what a great response to shame is? Humility. I still need the grace of God just as much today as I did back then when I when I screwed up. I still need His mercy today to keep me in His love. I still need His power in my life to overcome my sin, my rebellion, my hatred for God. And how am I going to do that? Because little flock, your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. This isn't a health and wealth passage, mind you. This is not God's going to give you a yacht and a, and, a, and a mansion and you know millions of dollars and all these kind of things because His next statement is, go sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Right? Don't build up for yourselves treasures on earth where earthquakes can crush the house and where thieves can break in and steal it and rust will deteriorate and all the stuff can go away in a moment, in a, in a flash, the arc of a receptacle that burns the house down, a crash of the stock market and it all goes away. Where everything that you put your heart and your soul and your passion and everything into, in a moment it's snapped and it's gone. I remember the, uh, uh, my, my mentor, the guy that discipled me, was a guy named Randy. And Randy did our show at my wedding. And as we sat with him in premarital counseling, he, he did something with us. He, 
he had us sit and talk with each other and, and uh, share the things that we just loved about each other in a view of our anniversary week, right? This is one of those things you're sitting there thinking about, you know, all the things I love about Shell, right? She's beautiful. She's funny. She's such a great tender of our uh, of our home. She nurtures my kids, right? Like all these things, listing all of this stuff and for her to do the same, it's, you know, it feels wonderful and it's good and it's nice and it's everything. And then at the end of it, he says, one car accident and all that goes away. Do you love her for her? regardless of what she gives to you. See, good things can become idols. This is why Jesus said, for where your heart is, or for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. This is why when we lean back into the arms of Jesus and we're trusting His grace that we didn't deserve, we're not simply trusting Him to make the things that we love stay. We're trusting Him even if they don't. If the mind fails and the body fails and the relationship fails and the finances fail and the job fails and all the things that I love and cherish, if those fail, it is still true for Him to say, don't be afraid. Don't worry. Your Father in Heaven has gladly chosen to give you the kingdom. We're starting the school year and there's lots of hope. Maybe there's some hope. We got some we got some hope as we're stepping into it. But there is a lot of anticipation of what is to come. And probably not a little bit of anxiety. Not a little bit of worry. We've got new marrieds that are here. And there's anticipation of what's coming. We've got, you know, people that are looking to the future and there's lots of uncertainty and the the power of Jesus' words is true because He purchased its truth with His life where He says, trust Me. Don't be afraid. You are My flock. Hear My voice. God loves you, has delighted in you, and has delighted to give you all of His kingdom. Don't worry about the things of this world that you don't have control over. Trust Him and trust His kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. We're thankful that from one verse You speak to our now, our past, and our future. You hold all of our life in the palm of Your hand. God, we thank You so much that in Jesus You showed just how much You delighted in us. That while we were yet sinners wretched haters of God. You loved us and gave, gave Your Son in our place. And so as we sang a moment ago, fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in Your love. There's nothing like it in this world. There's nothing else that we can fall and rest in that can hold us the way that You do. So God, I pray for this group of people that are here this morning and I pray myself included 
that we would not take for granted the realities of this passage, but that they would be explicitly true of us. That we would trust You in our present and we would put our heart wholly in Your kingdom and whatever comes, we still trust You. We love You and it's in the sweet and precious name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.